Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to Summer at the X. Welcome to X Church at Home. We are so excited uh, to have you joining us wherever you are today, whether you're sitting next to a pool or you're, whether you're sitting in your bedroom, your living room. I even heard somebody last week who said they watched church around a bonfire, which is weird, uh, because it was the morning. So, uh, but wherever you are, we're not going to judge. We're so glad that you're with us today. Uh, and if you don't know who I am, my name is Kevin Illich. I'm honored and blessed to be one of the pastors that serve here on staff. It's the privilege of my life. And we are taking some time out as a church to do a series called Summer at the X. And this summer has been one already like no other with everything going on in the world. So we just wanted to take some time as a church to stop and say, how can we use this summer to become more like Jesus? And so that's what my hope and my prayer is for us today as a community, that at the end of this, uh, we will look more like Jesus. So why don't we just pray to get this thing started. God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you so much that your church is not a building, that God, as badly as we want to get back together, God, we know that you and your spirit, you can be anywhere at any time. So I ask right now that your presence, that's life-changing, that's transformative, would fill every home, would fill every space, would fill every car, because God, we know that today you want to do something deep inside of our hearts. You want to do something new. God, I never want to be in a moment in your presence where something inside of me doesn't change. And so God, that's what I pray. Over every single person tuning in today, God, that you would change us from the inside out to do your work, to do your will. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said together, amen. It's good to be with you all today. I have a question that I want to start off with just to ask you. Have you ever had a nagging injury? You know, have you ever had an injury that maybe it's something you don't need surgery on or it's really not that big of a deal, but it's just this achy pain that no matter what you do, you just can't seem to shake it? You know, maybe you've had like chronic back issues and so you can't sit in a chair for very long without you know, getting uncomfortable, or your neck hurts, or maybe, I don't know, you stubbed your toe really bad, or <laughs> I don't know what the case is, but have you ever had like a, a nagging injury that just goes with you? It's always on the forefront of your mind. Uh, now, luckily, I haven't had many of these in my entire life. I mean, uh, I've been pretty uh, safe. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but the other day, uh, the other day I decided that I was going to try to be a daredevil. And we have this big gravel driveway at our house, and, and we also have a four-wheeler, okay? So let me just paint the picture of the story. So the family's over, right? Uh, we're kind of having a bonfire, having some pizza. It's a beautiful night, sun setting, and uh, everybody's riding the four-wheeler up and down this path that we have. And so I decided that I was going to hop on the four-wheeler, and I was feeling a little bit risky. I don't know why. And I said, I'm going to see how far I can take this thing. And so I got on, and, and I started to do a little bit of, of, of like a donut in the four-wheeler. You know, it's a, just try to see if it would slide on the gravel. And so I started sliding, and I started slow, and I'm kicking gravel everywhere. And I'm starting to impress my family members. You know, they're looking at me like, okay, Kevin, that's pretty cool, you know. And uh, I said, yes, it is. So I started going faster and faster, and I just start going in a circle and ram, ram. I'm like, and then, you know, I'm, I'm feeling pretty confident at this point. And so all of a sudden, the two inside wheels of the four-wheeler start to come up 
off the ground. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm dead. Like, this, it's all over. Like, it's all gone. I'm going to be handicapped for the rest of my life. So I put, pushed the internal eject button. I bailed on that four-wheeler big time. And I jumped off that thing, and it was like heroic. It was like slow-mo. It was like stunt double. But I didn't have proper footwear on. I had like work boots that were untied. Okay? So in this drama that is me jumping off of the four-wheeler, okay, I, I kind of stumble and, and jam my foot a little bit. Okay? And it hurt. It hurt really bad. And I'm thinking, oh, gosh, I hope I didn't break this thing. You know, when you do something stupid... And like, I'm just ruining my life for the next few months. But I have a lot of medical people in my family. And, you know, so I, you know, walk back to them all slow. And I'm limping. And the four-wheeler, you know, didn't flip or anything. It was fine. It was sitting right there. So I'm just limping back and forth. And they're pressing on my foot. And I'm like, does that hurt? And I'm like, no. Does that hurt? No. And they're like, you're probably fine. You probably just, you know, strained it. So I'm like, okay. And I took a few Advil. And it still hurt. And. And this foot, it's been bothering me ever since. Like, I know it's not broken. I promise you, I know that it's not broken. But every time I walk upstairs too quick, or if I'm working out and there's something going on, like I could just, it's just nagging. It, it's always at the forefront of my mind. I don't know, maybe you've like injured your tailbone one time, and like there's nothing that they can do to help your tailbone, so you just kind of deal with it. You know, these chronic pains that we seem to have. And here's what I know, that whether you have or have not had like a physical injury, this injury that's always on the top of your mind, we all understand that principle. We all know what it's like to kind of walk wounded. We all know what it's like to compensate for areas of our life that hurt, even if it's not physical. Because what's also true is that even if you don't have a physical wound, that my bet is that you might have some emotional wounds that you carry with you. That maybe it's not a a broken foot, maybe it's not a, a twisted ankle, but maybe it's something that somebody said to you when you were younger. You know, maybe it's a lie that you believe about yourself that no matter how old you get, no matter how successful you are, it's just hard to shake maybe the words that someone said about you. And when you do what we do over here in church, and we sit around a lot, and a big part of my job is really to to sit with the people of our community, and we just talk about life, and we talk about our life stories and our testimonies and how far God's brought us. What you'll notice right away is that every single person has emotional injuries. That every single person is compensating for the wounds that we experience in life. That's across the board. There's not one person I've talked to that says they have it all together. I was actually talking to a gentleman uh, from our church this past week, and he's probably 60-something years old. We hadn't talked in a while because of the whole virus and and everything, but we got a chance to get together, have coffee out on the patio. Uh, It was pretty incredible. If you haven't done it yet, you should try it with all your friends. Uh, But we just sat there for a couple hours, and it was the first time I ever heard his story. Now, this gentleman, he's in his 60s, and he um, was telling me about a time, we talked for a long time, he's telling me, there's a point in his story, he's telling me about this time when he's in the second grade, okay, and he's struggling really bad with a speech impediment. 
Now, 50 years ago, when he was in second grade, they didn't have the same resources in the education world to deal with disabilities like that. Uh, they just thought, they just labeled him and said that he's dumb, that he's just not smart, that he just can't talk. And so there was this one particular time where uh, the class took a math test. Uh, this guy in second grade, he, he did particularly well, exceptional actually, on this math test. Uh, the teacher ended up grading it, and he, she saw the score, and she said, oh my gosh, how did he score this on the test? What's going on? Something has to be wrong. So the teacher actually calls a parent-teacher conference with this guy's mom and dad. He's in the second grade. The parents come in, and, and the teacher sits down and goes, listen, your son cheated on a test. And the parents are like, son, why would you do that? And, you know, I, I can't believe you would cheat. Why, why did you teach her? Like, how do you know he cheated on your test? And, and the son's denying. He's like, no, I, I didn't cheat on the test at all. I promise. I didn't do it. And the teacher looks at the mom and dad and looks at the son and said, I know he cheated on the test because he's too dumb to, have a, to get a score like this. Fifty years later, we're sitting at a Panera right down the road, and he's telling me, the effect that those words have had on his life up until this point. We all have emotional wounds. We all have heard things that have hurt us. I've got some. When I was thinking and preparing for this message, I was trying to think about my own wounds and things that I carry on a daily basis. And, and I immediately thought back to this one time. I was in the seventh grade. I was just going into middle school. And we had our first real tryouts to make the basketball team. You know, this is like the first time where we had, you know, a, a, an opportunity that we might get cut. Like, we might not make the team, okay? So all your buddies that you go and you play with, your whole childhood, you all envision, you know, playing middle school basketball all together on the same team, and that's what we were doing. So we do the tryout thing, and it was three or four weeks long, and, you know, it was awesome I made the team. And it was really incredible. And I know what you're doing. You're sitting at home looking at me, and if you see me in person, you can probably assume that, yeah, I'm a basketball star. I was just built that way. It was the way that God made me as to my jumping, everything. I'm just a star, naturally. So our coach was kind of a, a straightforward guy, straight shooter, was kind of harsh, uh, kind of militaristic. And there was a few kids who, for some reason, didn't get the opportunity to try out with us for the first few weeks. And so after we had decided who was and wasn't on the team, he extended tryouts for two more weeks and picked a group of us that were on the team and said, your spot is now in jeopardy because these guys are competing for your spot. I was in that group. And so we had two more weeks where we were competing for that last spot, and, and uh, it was not good. I ended up getting cut from the team. I had a spot. I had my uniform number picked out. had all that together. And then all of a sudden, I find myself off the team. And we're just furious. I mean, can you imagine if that was your son? Can you imagine if that was your daughter? Can you imagine if that was somebody that you loved? I mean, my parents, they were so mad. I was so upset. I was dejected. It was horrible. And so I went up to the coach, and, and I asked him, Coach, I, I just don't understand. Like, why did you cut me? And he looked at me, and he said, Kevin, you're, you're too fat to be on this team. Straight up. And yeah, some of those things I was struggling with at the time. But those words that he had told me 
whether I like to admit it or not, have stuck with me in the most profound way. And I know that, that every one of us has words like that said about us in our life. Whether you're, you know, you're too dumb or, or, or you're too poor or whatever the case might be. You're too loud, you're obnoxious, you're annoying, you're quiet, you're a nerd. Whatever somebody has said about you, whether or not it's true, it makes a lasting impact. And for me, when he told me that I was too fat, I didn't know then that I would spend the rest of my life, every time I was in a mirror, asking myself that same question. Am I too fat now? Okay, what if I try this diet? Am I too fat now? What if I try running this hard? Is my too fat now? A lifelong struggle with image, a lifelong struggle with being content with who I am. And we all have stories like that. Even though we try to use these things for motivation and we say, you know what, yeah, they said that about me, but I'm, yeah, we absolutely should do that. And those are the things that drive us. And somebody called you poor one time, so you spend the rest of your life trying to, trying to be a success and trying to prove them wrong. And, and that mom or that dad that left you and said that you weren't worth it, you know, in your youth, that you spent the rest of your life trying to prove them wrong and that you are worth it. And, and I get that. We have to do that. We have to cope with those things that people say. But here's one truth that I think we can all agree on when we think back to these wounds that form us is that words have power. And our words matter. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, it says it like this. The tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. And even better, in the message translation, it says it like this. It says, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. You choose. The title of my message today is Choose Your Fruit. Choose your fruit. That God has given us words that are so powerful that we have the ability to decide the impact that we make in the world, the impact that we make with other people just by what we say. And here's what I know, is that in a time like this, okay, in a society that is as divided as we're experiencing right now, as polarized as America is right now, what we know is that words matter. You see people drawing lines in the sand. You see people running from side to side, right and left, blue and red, and we're throwing rocks at each other with our words. And that we are in such a heat. I mean, you think about it. We've had a pandemic where 100% of the population of the United States has been affected emotionally. 100% of us have had to change how we go to work, have had to adjust the way we spend our finances, has had to alter the way that we get our kids taken care of during the day. Everything about our life has changed. We don't go out to eat anymore. We, we don't spend time with our elderly relatives anymore. There's, we don't go to church in person anymore. Everything about all of our lives, pretty much, has changed. And on the tail end of that emotional craziness, we are experiencing the most intense civil rights movement in 60 years. That we as a community 
saw a video that was just short of nine minutes long with a human being putting his knee on the back of another human being's neck. Whatever you think about any one of those people, we heard a human being for almost nine minutes use his words to cry for help. We saw somebody use his words. He says, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Mama, mama, I can't breathe. I'm going to die. And the words that he used in those minutes wrecked our entire country. Forced every single person. Can we all agree? Wherever you're sitting on this issue, it forced every single person to take a long look in the mirror and think, what's my role in this? What part do I play? That as a country, we understand right now that words are powerful. Have have you watched any of the, the mainstream media news stations? Have you noticed the difference in the words that each of them say. I was a, a political science major in college for about, I don't know, uh, 30 seconds. So I'm a little bit of a junkie. So I watch all the news stations. And I, and I like to go back and forth and switch back and forth and say, oh, well, well they didn't even cover that story. Oh, that's crazy. That story was, was headline news on that network. And, and that network didn't even talk about it like that. And you see the back and forth. And you see the usage of words. And you see the talking points in every show on every network that is an agenda that people are trying to push. You see how the media benefits from dividing us, that political parties benefit from dividing us, from separating us, from division. That as a country right now, the words that we have been using have divided us, maybe like never before. And don't even get me started on social media. Have you been? Have you been on it lately? Have you seen the way that people have gone back and forth? Have you seen how people have gone for the jugular? Have you seen how people are trying to help and post things in an effort to, to stand up for somebody or something, and then it just wasn't the right thing to post? And sometimes it feels like a lose-lose situation. Have you seen? Have you seen church people People within the walls of our church get in the most horrendous arguments on Facebook. I know multiple scenarios of people within the walls of X church that have unfriended each other. That have cursed each other out. That have ridiculed, that have mocked, that have name called each other. People that every Sunday when we're meeting in person stand side by side and worship together and proclaim Jesus together. Those very same people are tearing each other down on Facebook and putting it on the world for everybody to display just how divisive we can be. And don't you know? That that's exactly what the enemy wants to do 
in times like these. Did you know that from the very beginning, when God made the first man, he created Adam and then he created Eve. Did you know that he created them to have perfect community, perfect communion, perfect unity with them? But meanwhile, there was a serpent. You know the story. There was a serpent in the garden. And what did he do? He used God's words and deceived them. He twisted them just a little bit. And you know what happened Man sinned and experienced separation from God. That from the very beginning, the enemy's work has been division. And what started in the garden went all the way through the Old Testament. And did you know that for 400 years before the book of Matthew, 400 years before Jesus entered the scene, that the Israelites actually experienced silence from God? Separation from their heavenly Father. Out of silence, out of separation, out of division, did you know that the enemy had thought that he had won? And I just wonder if he's looking at us today, if he's looking at our social media accounts today, if he's looking at what we're posting today, the words we're saying, and I wonder if he thinks that he has won. Because if you're a Jesus person... If you've given your heart to Jesus and you understand what his life, what his death, and what his resurrection means, you know that that he is about just about the opposite of division. Did you know that what Jesus did, Jesus' work, was one of unification? That he came to restore us to the Father. Did you know that he had an atonement for our sins? You know what atonement means? It means to make right. It means to make amends. It means to unify. And so what's beautiful about being Jesus people and about being church people and about following Jesus with our whole heart is that it doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic background. It doesn't matter the extent of your sin. All that matters is that when God looks down at broken humanity, all he sees is the blood of Jesus, the red blood of Jesus that unifies us. That makes us one. That the church has and always will be about unity. We're unity people. Jesus is a unity person. That we're not right-wing people. We're not left-wing people. We're Jesus people. We're unity people. We unify when everybody tries to divide And sometimes we use our words to do the enemy's work for him. And all of us are guilty. I would say that all of us have maybe looked at the way we've responded and say, yeah, I'm not perfect. And yeah, I've got some work to do. But today, now that we know that there's power in our words, I want to talk about how we can use our words to create unity in a divided world. How we can use the power that God's put inside of us to heal a nation, to bring justice, and to bring people together. So today we're going to talk about three principles. Three principles that will be beacons that we can lean on 
that every Christ follower needs to understand about the words that we choose to use and the words that we choose to speak. Everybody say, choose your fruit. Choose your fruit. We can choose our fruit. The first principle, I want you to write it down if you're taking notes. Words create. Words create. Did you know that every word that you say, whether you like it or not, whether you think it does or not, has an impact on the world around you? That our words have the ability to create things in the atmosphere. You don't believe me? Let's talk about it. Did you know that your words can create an atmosphere? That's kind of the business we're in as a church. You know, if you've been to a physical ex-church building, we hope that you experience an atmosphere like no other. We hope that through the words that we say, and we're very intentional about those words. A lot of us here on staff, you know, we're very intentional about the words that we say and what we speak. And we are trying to intentionally create an atmosphere. Atmosphere. We know our words can create. What else can our words create? Uh, did you know your words can create gratitude? Have you ever just had like a bad day and nothing seems to be going right? And have you ever just tried to speak something out in gratitude because it's all you have left, you know? You know what, God, at least I still have air in my lungs. You know, at least I still have shelter over my head. At least I still have you who can comfort me and who can lead me. Have you ever just tried to speak out gratitude? That just by the words that you say, your words have the power to create things. What else can you create? Did you know you can create perspective with your words? Have any of you uh, used the idiom, anybody around here, have you used the idiom uh, glass half full? You know, just look at the glass half full. What we're doing is we're using our words to create a perspective. We're using our words to create positivity. You know, you could say any collection of things about that glass. You could say, who drank the other half of my glass? You know, you could say, that, that's not going to quench my thirst. You know, who was that? You could say any collection of things. But when you choose to say words like the glass is half full, you're creating something in the atmosphere. You can create happiness in the people around you just by Speaking encouragement. You can say a kind word. You know what it feels like. Come on. When somebody says something nice about you. Judah said something about my outfit when I came up. I said, man, that is so nice. I feel so, I'm so much more ready to preach. You just created happiness in my heart. But then I realized that he only said that because he's wearing the same outfit. And it was actually selfish. You can create a lot of things with your words. But did you know you can also create things like shame? That when you ridicule and when you make fun of publicly, you know what that feels like when someone creates shame in you? Did you know you can create wounds? We've already talked about that. You can create division with your words. And, and when I say words create, I'm not, it's not just my opinion. Did you know that there's scriptural evidence that shows that we have the power to create with our words. If you go back to the very beginning of time, what was the verb that God chose to use when he created the universe in the, created, in the creation account? Did he say God went and, and raked on the land to make it great? That God went and lifted the sky from the land and he created earth? 
And he created the, the sky, he created the sea. No, it didn't say any of that. But what did it say? It said God spoke. God spoke and there was. God spoke. That God could have chose any verb. And he said, I spoke it. I said it. You see this when Jesus, he was in the boat and there was storms all around him. His disciples are with him and he's sleeping through it all. And his disciples go, Jesus, Jesus, wake up, wake up. We're in the middle of a storm. And he rebuked. He spoke to the winds and the waves and he created calm. And did you know that the very same spirit that was hovering over the earth in the very beginning, the very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and active inside of you and of me and of you and of you and of you. We have that same spirit inside of us. And so by default, we have been given the power to create with our words. Choose your fruit. I want to ask you the question today. What are you creating with your words? In an honest assessment of yourself. We know it's been a hard few months. We know it's been a hard 2020. But just for a second, think about what the words you've choos- chosen to use. What have they created in the people around you? Second principle. Second principle. Words expose motive. Write that down. Words expose motive. We know that words create. Every word you choose to speak has an impact. But what's also true is that every word you choose to speak has intent. Now, we don't say things just because. We say things because we have an intention behind them. The problem is people may or may not know the motive with which we are speaking from. But what's true over time is that the words that you use will expose the motive that's in your heart. And maybe if you're married, you might know this to be true. I have my beautiful, lovely wife up here. She's incredible. And uh, poor Andrea, she has to live with me. And... uh, there might be some mornings when I wake up and I'm just on edge, man. For no other reason. I'm just like, you know, you know how it's been in quarantine. You wake up and you're like, oh, I'm just you know, mad. I'm just mad. There's no baseball on, you know. And you sit up all night and you want something to watch on TV and there's nothing. There's nothing to watch. There's nothing to watch. And so I'll just be mad. And I'll wake up and I'll be snippy with her and I'll be snippy with the kids, you know. I'm like, where is that thing that I put down yesterday? Don't you know where it's at? Don't you know where that thing was at? Where did I put my shoes? You know, like it's her responsibility. What, what, what are we doing today? You know? And she's really great. God bless you. She'll check me like every good wife will. Amen. All the guys say amen at home. You know, tap her on the leg. Say, thank you, honey, for doing what you do. And she'll check me and she'll say, why are you so mad at us? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not. I don't know if I'm mad at you. I'm just mad. I'm just mad because I'm bored and I have none. And we just cook and I have no food. I just don't know. It's mad. Is it just me? I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but what's happening, I think, is that the frustration that's inside of me is being squeezed out of me. 
And because I have frustration on the inside, the people around me feel it. The words I say to them is a great indicator of how I'm feeling. Our internal lives are a great predictor of our external words. Our internal lives are a great predictor of our external words. And right now, in America, if you've been on Facebook, if you haven't deleted it yet, then you know that we really right now, like, we aren't even arguing about words, okay? Like, I think that there's some phrases and some words that I think we all agree on. And there are certain phrases or words, I'll let you fill in the blank, that we aren't arguing about the construction of the words. But we are arguing about the motive from which somebody says something. That we're having great discussion, and some of it is very warranted, I must say. But we are, are arguing about motive. Do you see? We're arguing about the insides of people. That's what we're arguing about. And so you might say, how do I know what I should and shouldn't believe? How do I know what I should or shouldn't feel on the inside? You know, this political party saying this. That political party saying this, that group saying this, that group saying this. I just want to help. I just want to be on the right side of history. I just want all these things. And, and it, sometimes it feels like a lose-lose. Have you guys felt that? Do you guys know what that feels like? And, and sometimes, you know, you even see, you know, when, when the whole world, if you were on Instagram on Tuesday, you saw the Blackout Tuesday. And the whole world tries to show its support by showing black squares, and they post them on their Instagrams. It was really cool if you, if you scroll through it. Just how everybody's standing together, whether you agree with whatever or whatever, you know that it's cool to see people uniting around something. That's cool. But then you also have people who say, no, 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 this is all bad. You should not do this. And I don't even know what's right and wrong. I still know what's right and wrong. All I know is that what we're talking about in the discussion is over motive. And so what I want you to know is that God's word is pretty clear. God is really clear about the motives that come from our heart. We have in Luke chapter 6. It says this. No good tree bears bad fruit. Nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes. Or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks of what the heart is full of. So the question I want to ask all of you today is, what is your heart producing? What fruit are you creating? Because you can choose your fruit. You can choose your fruit. Well, Kevin, how do I know what's good or bad? How do I know what's godly and not godly? Well, that's why we have Galatians 5, verse 19 through 23. Paul says this. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the bad stuff, it says the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, Seen any of that lately? 
quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger. Anybody? Outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division. There's that word again. Envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we have all done things. So let's just back up for a second and recognize that we have all been in that group of words. <laughs> that we have all done one or more, and if you're like me, probably more of those things. Have you ever been jealous? Have you ever been envious? Have you ever been angry? Have you ever had a fit of rage? Have you, I mean, yes, we have. I mean, these are things that we've all done. But if you're a Jesus person and you want to live a life worth something bigger, and you want to push forward God's purposes on the world, God's will in times such as these, then what we need to do is recognize that we need to choose better fruit. That we have the ability to choose better fruit. Choose your fruit. And he goes on to say, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. This is the good stuff. So write it down. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Gosh, we need some of that right now. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. What fruit are you producing? Words expose our motive. Words expose what's inside. So what does the words you speak say about your internal condition. What are your words saying about your heart? And the third principle is this. Words are weapons. Write it down. Words are weapons. We know and we feel the effect of words. We know that our words have power. We know that our words have the power to create. We know that our words can expose our heart. But did you know that with words, you have a weapon? And how many of you know that if you give a weapon to somebody who was never instructed on how to use it, they can do a lot of harm? And I'm not saying that that you are that person or that I'm that person. Honestly, we've all been those people. That we all, in times like this, probably could have benefited from trying to learn how we can use our, use, use our words better. That's true for all of us. But here's the thing about this weapon. This weapon that we have. is that the heartbreaking part is when you see God's people engaging in friendly fire. That's really hard to see. It's hard to see anybody shooting each other. It's hard to see anybody trying to cut into the heart of the other person. It's really hard to watch. And so what's our role as the church, how can we learn how to wield 
this weapon that we have. First, we have to acknowledge that we have one. Now, did you know that Scripture tells us our only offensive weapon in this world is this book? It's God's Word. It's called the sword of the Spirit. It's an offensive weapon. God's Word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It can cut through bone. It can cut through flesh. It can cut through marrow. It can cut through joints. And it can judge the honest intentions of the heart. That this book is an incredible offensive weapon. But if words expose our motive, if words expose what's on our inside, I want to ask you, is this book inside of you? Is this book something that oozes out of you in times of crisis, in times of turmoil, in times of division. And I know it's hard when the preacher comes up here and he says, well, you need to get up every morning and you need to, for, for the, you need to read your Bible first thing every day. I'm, I don't know what, what, what language I'm speaking. I don't know what accent that is. It's probably not Pastor Tim. But, but it's important that we make this book a priority, that we read the words of Jesus every day. Because we don't know when we're going to need it to come out of us. That right now, it feels like the world is in a war of sorts. That the media would want you to believe that the war is between two political parties. And I want to say that that's not true. That the war is between good and evil. That there is evil forces that are trying to steal, kill, and destroy God's purpose. The same serpent that was there in the garden with Adam and Eve is the same, is the same force, is the same spirit who's trying to divide us now. And so the division we feel is actually a war that we've experienced for a long time. This isn't the first time, that this isn't the only time of the year where we've been in a spiritual war. That we're always in a spiritual war. That we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That we wrestle against the powers and principalities of dark forces, demonic spirits, people who try to divide us, people who try to tear us apart. Now that's a war we're fighting all the time. And so why do preachers, why do people say that we need to read this book often? That we need to meditate on it and get it in our heart. Why does Psalm 119 say that I have your word hidden on my heart so that I might not sin? Why is that so important? It's because we're fighting a spiritual war. Did you know that, church? I want you to think about that next time you're on Facebook. I want you to think about that next time you're watching Fox News or CNN or NBC or CNBC or whatever you're watching. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that next time you're at the family dinner table having a discussion and it starts to get heated. I want you to think about that. When you just want to get something off your chest or you just want to say something or you just want to, and when it doesn't add the value to the conversation or bring unity to anybody, I want you to think about that. 
that we're not fighting a war with flesh and blood. That's not the war we're fighting. We're fighting a spiritual war. We're fighting a spiritual war. And we have a weapon that we're misusing. I'm sure you've seen this book misused over the last couple of months. But here's what you need to understand. That even though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. Did you know that? 2 Corinthians 10 says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. That we have a weapon. That we're not fighting the same war that everybody else is fighting about. That we're not separating our families the way that everybody else is. That we're not burning our friendships up. That we are not dividing a church in two. Because we don't fight the war that people fight. We fight a spiritual war. Good versus evil. And we have a weapon. We have a weapon. And it's sharp. And it's sharp. And if you're like me, maybe you've found yourself in a place where you're legitimately wondering, is this ever going to get any better? Is this war ever going to end? Is there always going to be this struggle between good and evil? Is there always going to be this division? Is there always going to be this bickering? Is there always going to be this injustice? Are we ever going to get better? Are we ever going to learn I was reminded of the scripture from John's Revelation, chapter 12. He describes the end days. And he says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now has come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser, that's the devil, that's the serpent, who's trying to divide us. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down and they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb. That's the work of Jesus that's already completed. That one's checked off. That box is done. Done. And what? By the word. By the word of their testimony. How do we overcome the dark forces in the world? How do we overcome the serpent? How do we overcome the enemy? How do we overcome the division? How do we unify people? It's through what Jesus did for us on the cross. The ultimate unifying, redeeming work of God. And by our words. And by our words. There's power in our words. As I was preparing for this message, I... Um, happened to come across an old Twitter account of mine. I'd switched phones and lost the password or something. I'm sure it's happened to you. And for fun, I just thought I'd scroll down and scroll past everything I said. This was this week. And um, I've never been more embarrassed by the words that I've seen. 
This was before I met Jesus. This was before my life had changed. This was before God had started to do any work in me. But I don't know if I said anything that was blatantly or whatever, racist or misogynistic or what. Um, But what I saw in myself years after, like looking in a time machine, what I saw in myself was ignorance. I saw ignorance. I saw an insecure little kid who's defensive, who cares more about people thinking what I think, who cares way more about people thinking that I'm right than I do bringing any sort of unity, that I do care more about those things than I do listening to other people, considering viewpoints. I cared way more about people thinking I was right than having conversations. Um, and I had to repent this week that I had a moment with God where I, I, uh, I had never, I'd never ever in my life been aware of the role that I'd played in just division. How deaf I've been, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about me, how deaf I've been to communities that are trying to get our attention. The words and the cries of people around me that I have chosen to ignore for years. And I had to repent. And I had to ask God to to heal me and to show me how I can avoid that, how I can be a part of a solution. And so this message, when we talk about the power of words, I'm somebody who I, I chose fruit when I was younger. I chose my fruit, and now I'm sitting in it. And that the words you say, you can't take back. That once that toothpaste is out of the tube, it's out of the tube. You can't put it back, no matter how hard you try. And so if you, in 10 years, were to look back at the words you're saying right now, take yourself out of the heat of the moment, take yourself out of the emotion that we feel because we've been pent up for months. What are you going to say about your words today? Are we going to be ashamed? Are we going to be guilty? If I could tell myself a few things, I'd tell myself, Should you really tweet that? Or should you pray that? Should you really talk right now? Or should you listen? Does that just tear somebody down? Or can you take this opportunity to encourage somebody? I don't know where this message lands with you today. This is a hard time. It's so hard. But I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to do a unifying work in us and in the church first so that we can take it to the world and we can see people come together like never before and we can see healing like we've never seen. And if you're somebody who feels convicted by this, somebody who, if you're to be honest at the role that you've played with all of the 
turmoil that's happening in our country right now with all of the racial injustices that we see. And if you're feeling guilty and you're feeling the need to repent, what we know is that that God forgives every sin. That what Jesus did covers our sins past, present, and future. So you have a gracious God who's waiting for you to give him your heart. He's waiting for you to repent of your sins. Repentance means to change your mind, to change the way you think about things. Are you willing to go on that journey today? Because God's ready for you. He's ready for your heart. So let's pray. God, we thank you that your word is alive and active, that your word is so sharp that it cuts through the walls that we've built up in our lives, God. The walls that sometimes we didn't even know were there. God, I pray for every single person on the other side of this screen, wherever they are, God. I pray, Jesus, just as David prayed, search my heart, oh God. God, I want to choose better fruit. God, search my motives. Search the parts of me that I'm not even aware of. Search the nooks and crannies of my heart that need to change. Search every intention inside of me. I know there's many of you right now who are feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That that's not my words. I can't convict you, but the Holy Spirit can. And for many of you, He is right now in this moment. And if that's you, I want to pray this prayer where you can give your heart to Jesus and He can give you a new one. You say, God, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And God, in this moment, I recognize that there's nothing that I can do, nothing that I can say to be united with you, but only through Jesus and only through the work that He did on the cross, the fact that He was buried and raised again and He's alive right now, God, that only through that work can I be saved. And so in this moment, God, I give my heart to you. I commit to following you. That I don't follow people, I follow you. That when people try to divide, I'm going to do what you want. I'm going to unify. So God, take my heart and make it yours. And I'll follow you for the rest of my days. And it's in Jesus' name that everybody prayed. Amen. Come on, let's celebrate with the people who just prayed that prayer. Hey, listen, we're going to sing a song. And in this song, we're going to open our hearts to God. We're going to say, you can have it all, Jesus. Take every bit of me.